Sketches from Scripture presents Light in the Darkness, a teaching series from the stories of Genesis. Light in the Darkness is a teaching series by me, author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the narrative structure and style of the book of Genesis as context for better understanding of Scripture. This will help us trust more in these scriptures by demystifying them, taking the stories from the perceived realm of mythology or spiritual mysticism or religious fairy tale and putting them on the ground where they belong. Real words written by real people about real events in real places, all pointing us to a very real God. I hope this podcast scatters your darkness and makes the great light abundant in your life. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. This is the story of Genesis, Light in the Darkness. This is part 15. This is the finale. This is the end. This is the last of the uh, lessons of the story of Genesis. Just want to say, as always, that um, many of you watching this are believers, and I hope that this study has deepened your confidence, deepened your faith in Scripture, has given you a, a fresh look at Genesis, has made you fall in love with it more than you ever have before. And um, I hope that if you're a skeptic watching this, or if you don't necessarily have a high regard for Scripture, even if you uh, are trying to follow Christ, I hope this shows you how much power there is in Scripture and how much there is to be learned and mined from it. It's, um, it's God's Word, I believe. I believe it's uh, inspired even the human writers or the human editors that have pulled these stories together or whatever the process was. We don't know. We don't know who the author of Genesis was. I do believe that God is behind it, that the story is crafted ultimately by Him, and that there's a lot for us to learn. <clears throat> So uh, this is the end of Genesis. We've got just a handful of chapters left. We're going to go through it very quickly. And so, as always, let's just do a quick review. Um, <clears throat> right, right away, you've got God's Word going out. And as, word, as God's Word goes out, light is created from nothing, and light is separated from the darkness, and sends the darkness and the chaos and the, and the evil scattering. And that's the theme over and over again that we see throughout Genesis. It's why we title the series Light in the Darkness. And Genesis 1 through 11 drills down from the creation of the whole universe down to this one man, Abram. It comes down to this idea that, that the Lord can speak to an individual person. The, the creator of the universe has relationship with individual people. It's good news. Uh, it should be good news to us. Uh, you see this constant separating of things, the good from the bad, the light from the darkness, and this concept of holiness comes to mind. The word holy is not really used, but the concept is very much there. The idea that the good things are going to be separated from everything else and the good things are going to be set apart for a special purpose, for a special blessing, for a special relationship with God, and they're going to be made abundant. And we see that from Genesis 1 all the way through the family of God, which is another thing that we see from Adam, Noah, Abram, uh, who becomes Abraham and all of, all of the descendants this idea of the family of God flourishing and becoming abundant and maintaining that relationship with God. And over and over again, that theme, uh, what God speaks 
to his children, to his people, to his family is remove yourself from the wicked world and be an abundant blessing to me and to all people. Uh, we met a guy named Melchizedek that kind of doesn't seem to fit in any of these camps because he's a priest king and he's in there very shortly, but um, he, he really points to some aspects of Jesus. And so uh, we began talking at that point about how the whole Bible really is about Jesus. And we're going to see more of that tonight. Abram has his name changed to Abraham and in, in receiving the, the blessing and the covenant from the Lord and, and going out and acting in um, faithful and unfaithful ways, we see our faith persuades other people and that that's a morally neutral statement, that our lack of faith, our lack of obedience persuades people to believe something about God and our bold faith and our, our bold obedience uh, persuade others to believe something about God. In the story of Rebecca and Isaac, uh, we see, you know, the Bible's not about us, but it is for us. And there are many things there that we can learn in all of scripture. And you know, not about us. It's not even written to us first. There are other people to whom it was first read, first spoken, first, first heard. Um, but it is still for us. It's all good for us. And there's something there that each one of us can learn. Uh, with Jacob and Esau, we asked, okay, are we children of God or are we heirs? Of God, Paul would write a lot about this in his letter to the Ephesian church in particular, this idea of being heirs, being adopted into a kingdom and what that means to be a co-heir with Christ. What does that mean to be uh, sort of in some ways have the same status as Christ in terms of being an heir? And a very important concept. It was very difficult for some of the early Jews to get their mind around, especially when Gentiles started becoming part of that family as well. But we see that whole concept presented right here in the story of Jacob and Esau. Are, are you children or are you heirs? Are you just going to be part of the lineage? Are you going to have the blood or are you going to live the covenant and hold the faith? Children or heirs? And then with uh, Jacob, we just see struggle in his life from struggling with his twin brother in the womb all the way really to, to the end of his life, which we will see tonight as we uh, sort of blow through these last five chapters of Genesis and uh, with these struggles, there's even the scene where he alone is there wrestling with a, a, a man, he thinks, that turns out to be God himself. And he's wrestling. And we see that Jacob wrestles with God, not against him. He wrestles with God in search of a blessing, that he's seeking relationship with the Lord. He's seeking the Lord out. He's not trying to push the Lord away, but rather he's clinging to him. And so we learn to ask ourselves when we, when we are struggling and wrestling, are we struggling against God or are we struggling with God? Are we wrestling with God? And uh, finally, we've looked at the story of Judah and we've seen that Judah really is sort of the main character of Genesis. He's the one that makes a change. He's the one that brings us sort of the whole point of the book, which we're going to really double down on here in these last few chapters as, as the story wraps up. But what we see Judah do is we see Judah um, be the, the ringleader in selling his brother and trying to kill him, probably. We see Judah um, moving forward um, to uh, um, uh, have a relationship with, um, he doesn't realize it at the time, but Tamar, who is uh, his, his daughter-in-law, his sons have, have died, and uh, impregnates her has children by her, and when it's revealed who she is, um, <clears throat> he uh, he comes clean, and he says, 
yeah, don't punish her. She's she's more in the right than I am. And he never touches her after that. He changes his behavior after that. And so you see him uh, admit to his sin, take responsibility for his sin, change his behavior. And then by the time he gets to, to Egypt and before Joseph is even revealed, jo, uh, Judah is putting himself in harm's way in place of his brothers, taking full responsibility for the, the first sin way back and, and uh, getting rid of Joseph in the first place. And so we see uh, Judah very literally trying to redeem that moment. He's trying to revalue that moment by saying, I messed up here. I want to unmess up by putting myself where I don't have to be in a place of danger to save someone else. And to his surprise, the man he is speaking to is the very brother that he thinks may be long dead and gone. And it's Joseph, and they weep together, and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and that's where we left off last night. So um, let's look at the text. Uh, we're at Gen uh, Genesis chapter 46, and not as usual, I'm not going to read a lot. Uh, I'd love for you to read this on your own after having heard some of the notes that we're making here. But um, just want to point out a few things uh, as we go through. So. Remember when we're looking at, at three-act structure and sort of act one is kind of the first 25% of the story, act two is sort of the middle half, and then act three is that last 25%. Well, we're here in the last 10% of the story. We're in the last five chapters of 50. And um, so really the story's wrapping up at this point. We've, we've really hit the, the idea of forgiveness, uh, that that's the, really the only way that, that sin can be fixed is with forgiveness, that, that punishment isn't really enough, and pardon is, doesn't really do it, and, and penance just it's not going to work. And so how do we do it? How, do we, how can we live with each other, and how can we live with God if, if we're evil from our youth? We're capable of great good, but, 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 but we're just so prone to, to doing selfish and hurtful things, sin. How can we go on? How can we live with God and with each other? And the answer is forgiveness. That's the only way. And... <clears throat> So we come into uh, chapter 46 here with that idea already on our mind. Chapter 45 is where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And now they're going back to get uh, to get dad, to get the father, Israel. And they're bringing Israel back. And um, so it says, And Israel journeyed, uh, journeyed onward with all that was his. And he came to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God said to Israel through visions of the night, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So this is very interesting. He calls him Jacob and not Israel. And why is that? Could be a lot of times when Jacob is used instead of Israel, it's either the narrator or God sort of commenting on his childish behavior or his lack of faith. In this instance, that could be the reason. We, it could be, it's not stated here, but it could be that as he's trying to sleep at night, he's worried about going to Egypt. Uh, another reason we might think that is because of what God tells him next. But um, it may just be uh, God sort of calling back into, calling back farther into his story, you know, sort of reminding him of that covenant that he made with him when he was a little boy, when he was a young man. And so he calls him Jacob. And when he says, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob says, here I am, which of course reminds us of Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac, um, uh, Abraham saying to the Lord, here I am. And uh Abraham saying to Isaac, here I am, my son. And um, so God speaks. And he said, I am the God, God of your father. Fear not 
to go down to Egypt. So that's why we think, hey, maybe maybe Jacob is being a little a little scared of this. Um, Fear not um, to go down to Egypt. For a great nation, I will make you there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will surely bring you back up as well. And Joseph shall lay his hand on your eyes. So Jacob and the whole clan gets up and goes, and it gives all the names of all the children here, all the way down to Muppam, Huppam, and Ard, the, the three littlest of the 70. And all 70 make their way uh, toward, um, toward Egypt. And we see in verse 28, it says, And Judah he had sent before him to show him the way to Goshen. So who's leading the who's leading the way? It's Judah. Remember, we've established now, Judah really is the main character of Genesis. Judah is going to be the father of, of King David. Judah is the father of Jesus Christ himself. And so it makes sense that Judah is really kind of the main character here. Even the people hearing this for the first time, even if it's uh, right after the, the, the Exodus, uh, it's probably later than that. But even if it was right after the Exodus, Judah is already, it's the, it's the largest tribe. It's the tribe that's going to sort of lead um, the way, and, and the way everything's set up there around the tabernacle and all that. So Judah, Judah's the main character. So Judah's leading them down to Goshen. And um, uh, and Joseph it harnesses his chariot and he comes up from Egypt to, to meet them. And they all meet in Goshen. And there is... Um, uh, a reunion ceremony here, and um, Pharaoh uh, is going to uh, come up and talk to them, and, and Joseph tells them how to navigate that. So let's um, go on to the next chapter, chapter 47. So Joseph comes and talks to Pharaoh. Hey, my father, my brothers, we're all, we're all in town. We're, we want to go to Goshen. And now Jacob is speaking to Pharaoh. This is a really remarkable moment. I mean, here is just this I mean, if it were not for, for the blessing of God, who would have heard of Abraham? Who would have heard of Abram? Who would have heard of Jacob? Who would have heard of this guy? Nobody. He's just some nomad from this sort of nothing place and just out in the wilderness somewhere. But, but because of God, now here he is standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, or down in verse uh, 9, it looks like. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days... Of the years of your life. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of my fathers in their days of show, of sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from Pharaoh's presence. So, you know, Jacob says, Few and evil have been my days. He's 130 years old. Well, you'll recall. The long ages, I mean, Methuselah, uh, Noah, uh, there were these long old ages, and uh, Jacob is well aware of them. In fact, uh, some of these old, old ancestors are still alive when Jacob is born, and he would have known them. We talked about that in earlier lessons. And uh, But at some point, God decided people would only live about 120 years. And so you gradually see those ages sort of decreasing from that time on. People starting to have children now around age 30 instead of age 100. And um, so now we come into um, these these younger ages here. And so he says, few and evil have been the years of my life. What, evil? I mean, look at all the good things that have ha- happened in Jacob's life. But there's also been lots of struggle and there's been lots of trial. He's uh, lived without his favorite son for 22 years, thinking that he's dead. You know, he's mourned for his son for 22 years. He's, he's uh, lost uh, the, the wife that he loves. And um, 
the struggle with his with his brother and um just a lot of trouble in his life and and there's a lot of good things but there's also this this trouble and so this kind of serves to to give us a happy ending to the story but it's it's not a saccharine ending all right it's a complicated ending it's a realistic ending um, many of us have many things that we're thankful for and happy about and there's also some very difficult things going on in our lives. I'm thinking of people I know that are watching right now, and I can think of the difficult things that are in your life that affect, you know, your life every day. And yet, uh, many of you are some of the happiest, most thankful people that I've ever been around. And you're doing amazing things in spite of some of the negative things that are going on in your life. This ending here to Jacob's story is a realistic ending. And he's speaking to the most powerful man in the world, really, at this time, at least in the, the known world where Jacob was. And um, he has a lot to be thankful for, but he's very honest and says, hey, it's it's been really hard. So I think we should take some comfort in that. I think when we think about the patriarchs and the, the early fathers of, of faith, I think we think of them because of the vacation Bible school stories and the Sunday school stories and the little flannel board theater and all that. I think we think of them as these great men of faith and, and these really faithful men and, and they never did anything wrong. And we've seen that's just not true. It's just not the case. They're just they're real people. And even when they're doing the best they can, uh, their sin, their struggle, um, there's uh, people fighting against them. There's temptation all around. And um, thank God there's forgiveness. So, uh, so we go on. So Joseph and his father and brothers, they all settled in, uh, well, I'll just read here from 11, settled um, and Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a holding in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. So notice the wording here and how it doesn't say in the land of uh, Pharaoh Ramses as he had commanded. Okay. So this phrase in the land of Ramses, we should not take that to mean Ramses is the, is the Pharaoh at the time. So it would be like this. It would be like, if I said, you know, the first settlers into Tennessee, you know, uh, came in in the early 1700s and settled near Nashville. Okay, well, these guys were not leaving their settlement at night and going down to Broadway or and or going to see the the AT and T Batman building. You know, those things didn't exist. There was no Nashville. But you understand what I mean when I say that. What I mean is, you know where Nashville is. That is the area where they were at the time. Even though in 1702 or whenever the first settlers came through Tennessee, there was no Nashville. There was just the river and land, and that was all there was, right? So you understand that concept. You use it all the time. And we use it here in Cleveland all the time, down by the old Walmart, Walmart or, or uh, this, that, and the other thing, right? So we do this all the time in both directions. Things that used to be there are things that were there after the time about which we're telling the story. I, I really believe that's what's happening here. So when they say in the land of Ramses, especially because of the wording, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, this disconnect between the name Ramses and the word Pharaoh says to me, these are not the same people. So the land of Ramses, this is the land that would be known as the land of Ramses, probably to the people hearing this for the first time. Uh, it could even be a, a, a scribal uh, change, something that happened later where a name was changed to, to be updated. Um, so if um, I'm trying to think of another example, but a, a city that's changed names, you know, over time, um, might go through and, and, and update the name so that the, the people understanding would know what you were talking about. So this is not Ramses is, 
in my understanding, is not the Pharaoh at this time. It's just telling you where that land was. I go through that because that's going to be important when we come up to some other things in the coming days, which I'll talk about later. Uh, so then there was the famine and it was really bad. And this is what we talked about the other night where Joseph sort of trades um, barter and livestock and, and eventually um, uh, the service of the people for their land. And um, Egypt takes possession of everything and the Pharaoh gets a fifth, gets the 20%, 20% tax of everything that is grown after the 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 famine is over and the farmland starts to replenish again, um, so uh, Israel dra- uh, dwelled in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen. There in verse twenty seven, and it says verse twenty eight. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So this is very interesting because Joseph was seventeen years old when he was sold away. And now here Jacob comes to him and lives with him for 17 years. And so, as some of the Hebrew commentators have said, Joseph was in the lap of Jacob for 17 years. And now Jacob is in the lap of Joseph for 17 years. Very sweet uh, bookends to the story of Joseph. So that's another thing that we see here in these last five chapters, sort of a wrapping up of all of these sort of open stories, these uh, open chiastic structures that have been going on throughout Genesis. They're all kind of wrapping up. Uh, here in these final chapters. And uh, Jacob says, don't bury me here, but bury me with my ancestors. And of course, we know where that is. We talked about that. I think I showed you a picture of the building. It's in Hebron. I've been there and uh, didn't see bones or anything, but as far as I know, they're all still there. So um, I think that's all the notes on that. So we'll go to chapter 48. And when Joseph finds out that his father is ill, he takes his two sons to get a blessing to them. And um, so he uh, puts them on his lap. And um, it says, uh, yeah, that that later he's on their, he's on his knees, on Jacob's knees. This is not just like grandpa holding the kids on his knees. This is a sign that he's adopting them as his own children. That's what's happening there. So we would see it in our culture. Oh, he's grandpa with kids on the knees, telling them a story or something like that. But that is not what has happened. He has uh, put them on his knees to say, these these are like my children now, Manasseh and Ephraim. And as he goes to do the blessing, Joseph um, holds them in front of him so that he can put his right hand on the oldest and his left hand on the youngest. But instead, Jacob crosses his hands so that his right hand is on the youngest. Even though Manasseh is the firstborn, he's got his left hand on Manasseh and his right hand on Ephraim. And he gives the blessing. And Joseph saw that he's got his hands mixed up and he tries to correct him, thinking, oh, he can't see. Again, this idea of sight continuing on through Genesis, even to this point. Joseph thinks that his um, uh, father can't see. And so he tries to change his hands. And Jacob says, no, I, I know what I'm doing. And you see here Jacob blessing the younger son, much like he was the younger son who got the blessing. And of course, um, we can follow along and see what all happens with the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Remember, Joseph, there is no tribe of Joseph when uh, the tribes of Israel come to take land. It's the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh sort of take the place uh, of Joseph as being a son of Jacob. So Joseph is divided into 
his two sons. So we see that blessing happening here. And that's, of course, setting things up for the time of Joshua to come later. And um, so then Joseph is going to die. And so he, uh, in chapter 49 now, he's going to bless all of the sons. So I'm just going to read the very beginning here because there's some important things that we need to look at. So because remember, Reuben is the oldest, then it's Simeon, and then Levi, and then Judah. That's the birth order, and then it goes on from there. So let's read, beginning in verse 2. Assemble and hearken, O Jacob's sons, and hearken to Israel your father. Reuben, my firstborn, are you, my strength and first yield of my manhood, prevailing in rank and prevailing in might. Hey, so far, so good. Unsteady as water, you'll no more prevail. Okay, now this is not good for Reuben. For you mounted the place where your father lay. If you remember, there was this one line a couple of chapters back that just said Reuben laid with, with Bilhah, who was the father of Dan and Naphtali. And Israel heard about it. It didn't seem like he did anything. He's doing something about it now. Right? Instead of giving him a blessing, he's basically giving him a curse. Unsteady as water, you'll no more prevail. For you mounted the place where your father lay. You profaned my couch. You mounted. All right. So Reuben's done. Done with Reuben. Next are Simeon and Levi, and he deals with them together. Why? Well, we're about to see. Simeon and Levi, the brothers, weapons of outrage, their trade. Remember, they took revenge on the sexual assault of their sister by uh, wiping out uh, a whole, a whole uh, tribe of people. Um, they sought revenge. In their council, let me never set foot. Their assembly, my presence shun. For in their fury, they slaughtered men. At their pleasure, they tore down ramparts. Cursed be their fury so fierce and their wrath so remorseless. I will divide them in Jacob, disperse them in Israel. And again, you can follow the history through these two tribes and see what happened. Certainly the tribe of Levi. The Levites would become the priestly tribe, which of course is a great honor, but as being the priestly tribe, they would be all spread out, dispersed throughout Israel with no land of their own. So now in verse 8, we get to Judah. Judah, you show your brothers acclaim. This is the first blessing. It's the fourth born, but the first three have disqualified themselves. And that's how we get to Judah. Now taking the place in, in the lineage as the oldest. Right? He's not the oldest son, but he takes the place in the lineage as the oldest because the, un, the first three have disqualified themselves through their behavior through their sin against their own families. Judah, you shall, uh, uh, Judah, you shall your brothers acclaim, your hand on your enemy's nape, your father's sons shall bow to you. A lion's whelp is Judah. From the prey, O my son, you mount. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, like the king of beasts who dare arouse him. The scepter shall not pass from Judah, nor the mace from between his legs. That tribute to him may come, and to him the submission of peoples. He binds to the vine his donkey, to the grape bough his donkey's foal. He washes in wine his garment, and the blood of the grape his cloak. O eyes that are darker than wine, and teeth that are whiter than milk. It's quite a blessing for Judah. And the big one is that the scepter shall not pass from him. That that's where the lineage is going to go. It's going to go through Judah. And of course, hence at the King David that is to come. And of course, the King of Kings in Jesus Christ. We see lots of other Christological imagery here. The lion, right? We've heard of the lion of Judah. That's where we get this phrase, right? Um, the, the, the scepter, um, the uh, submission of peoples, the, the vine, the grapevine, this idea of Christ saying, I, I'm the vine, you are the branches. We see the, the, the grapes and being washed in the blood 
uh, we said we have the donkey and the donkey's foal, sort of pointing uh, possibly to um, the Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. Um, so lots of Christological um, wording and language there. Uh, I won't go on with the rest of the blessings, but there's other blessings there for all the sons of Jacob. Jacob blessed them. And the very last sentence of the verse, I'm sorry, the very last verse of the chapter. And Jacob finished charging his sons and he gathered his feet up into the bed and he breathed his last and he was gathered to his kinfolk. So we go on and we look at chapter 50. It's the final chapter of Genesis. Joseph flung himself on his father's face and wept over him. So as Jacob wept and mourned, for Joseph, now Joseph weeps and mourns for his father. He has his uh, uh, servants, the physicians, to embalm him, and they have a period of mourning. And um, even uh, Pharaoh and Egypt appear to be mourning for him. And they take uh, Jacob to bury him with his ancestors. And uh, in verse 15, and Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, If Joseph bears resentment against us, he will surely pay us back for all the evil we caused him. All right. So, again, we asked ourselves, how do we deal with sin? Well, there's either revenge. Well, Simeon and Levi tried that. That didn't turn out too well. There's pardon, which is that doesn't bring any justice. And then there's penance. And so that's what they're afraid. Oh, well, we're going to have to pay it back. Right. And so let's see what happens. And they charged Joseph, saying, uh, Your father left a charge before his death, saying, Thus shall you say to Joseph, We beseech you, forgive, pray, the crime and the offense of your brothers, for evil they have caused you. And so now forgive, pray, the crime of your servants of your father's God. Again, there's that word, forgive, twice. Really just reminding you, this is what the story of Genesis is about. And we see uh, how... As they seek forgiveness, what is their posture? Are they demanding forgiveness? No. The last thing they say is, here we are, your slaves. And Joseph said, fear not, for am I instead of God? While you meant evil toward me, God meant it for good, so as to bring about at this very time keeping many people alive. For in fact, if Judah had not sold his own brother into slavery... That brother would not have gone and come up with this idea to save the whole family by providing them food, and Judah would have died. So God turns it into something good. God redeems it. Joseph, I'm sorry, Judah deemed it for evil, but God redeemed it for good to keep many people alive. Uh, Joseph goes on, and so fear not, I will sustain you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke to their hearts. So again, we see the reconciliation. We see not a leveling of the playing field, but rather, let's go back to the way it was before this sin happened. And we see forgiveness really taking place, both in the posture of the brothers, their honest humility, and in the response of the one doing the forgiving, Joseph, saying, uh, God is the one who forgives, and so I'm your brother, and let's love each other. Beautiful, beautiful moment. Joseph dwells. He gets old. Uh, he uh, says, make sure you take my bones from this place when you go. And the last sentence of Genesis, and Joseph died 110 years old, and they embalmed him 
and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And do remember that because we will talk about this coffin uh, a little later. So I've got uh, a couple more things that I want to read you very shortly. Before I do that, let's talk about what's coming up. So we finished this lesson in Genesis called Light in the Darkness. This is the final lesson of that series. I have been recording it, I think. And so if I've done everything technically correct, I think I'm going to go through and strip the audio and try and um, put it into a podcast format for anybody that wants to share it with somebody else. They can just sort of binge listen to the entire series now that it's complete. So that's something that I'm going to work on in the coming days. No idea when I'll have that ready. So, but it'd be, be a couple of days probably. Um, since we're all going to be at home for a little longer, and this is uh, honestly really good for me. I don't even care if anybody watches. Like I, I need to do this, you know, I, I appreciate that you are watching, but even if you weren't, I would probably still do this uh, just for myself. Um, I have a series that basically picks up in Exodus and goes right on through Deuteronomy. Most of it is concentrated in numbers. And I think that it is the perfect series for what we're likely going to feel and go through in the next couple of weeks. It is uh, really concentrated on wandering in the wilderness and... Um, sort of looking to, to God and learning how to trust him. And I think that these are lessons that I'm going to need in the next couple of weeks. And I suspect other people will as well. So what we'll do tomorrow night is we'll take a little break and I will still be on at eight o'clock. We, and we will still look at some scripture, but we will talk a little bit about, uh, cause again, I want you to know the story of Genesis, but more than that, I want you to take these principles and apply them to other to other scripture. I don't want you to learn the content that I'm giving you. I want you to learn the techniques so that you can explore scripture on your own and learn from it on your own. Uh, I've learned a lot from Robert Alter's translation and commentary, Five Books of Moses, which I've been reading from. I learned a lot from Leon Cass's uh, book, um, uh, The Beginning of Wisdom, uh, Reading Genesis. Uh, there was another Genesis commentary that I was using at the time uh, that I developed this series. I used it at least for the first few lessons, and it was very good. I have lots of Bible study notes, and I use those things all the time. Some of these are just things that I've noticed myself and have just really uh, developed a passion for and excited to share them with other people. I want you to be able to do the same. I want you to take any free thing that is out there, learn how to really study the Bible, not just so you'll know things, but so that you can love God and trust him more deeply and so that you can love your brothers and sisters, your fellow people, your neighbors, that you can love them more deeply and serve them more deeply. And so tomorrow we're going to look at a few things to do that. We'll, we'll look at some scripture as well. And then uh, on Monday, we will start the uh, series called Wandering. And it will begin in Exodus. We'll talk about the Exodus and... Um, and we'll kind of go from there. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. So I hope that you will um, come back tomorrow night at eight for that and continue on the wandering series. Uh, if you can't tune in every night, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You can watch it on replay. Uh, I'm going to leave these on my wall. You can watch them. I love when you're here live, but if you can't make it, don't worry about it. Um, so that's what's coming up. So uh, excited to do that. Excited to go through 
um, at least that series. And I've got more series after that. We'll just keep going if we want to. Um, so before we wrap up for the evening, I really want to go back and hit on one point in particular. And that is this. All of Scripture points to Christ. In Genesis 12, when God speaks to Abram and says, the entire world is going to be blessed through your seed. And he does say seed singular, right? What he's saying is someone will rise up from your descendants that will save the whole world. He's telling Abraham that in Genesis chapter 12, just right out of the gate, right in the very beginning of the story, Jesus, the idea of Jesus is introduced. So what I want to do now is I just want to go to the, the Gospels and I just want to read a little bit um, about of the beginnings of them. I'm just going to point a couple of things out and mostly just read um, from one section. But we'll start with Mark. Uh, obviously, Matthew is the first one that you come to in your Bible. But Mark was the probably the first one that was written. And it begins this way. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. And so just like Genesis 1.1, the voice of the Lord goes out into the wilderness, goes out. And we come to verse 9 of Mark chapter 1. In, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I mean, is that not the summary of the first 11 chapters of Genesis right there? You've got the separation of the heavens, and you've got the Spirit descending over the water where Jesus is, and speaking the word, and he's saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. He's speaking uh, love and authority and uh, the family of God into existence. And uh, it's very much like Genesis chapter 1. So then we come to Matthew chapter 1. And how does it begin? An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Sa fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, etc., etc. It goes on. But I read that much because I want you to hear the names of Tamar, of Rahab, of Ruth, and Uriah's wife. We know her as Bathsheba. Four women mentioned in the lineage of Christ, something that would have been really kind of scandalous at the time, especially scandalous given who the four women were. Um, we see the uh, strange family dynamics that lead to Tamar getting pregnant with Perez and Zerah. We see uh, Rahab the harlot uh, being saved. We see Ruth the Moabitess. Remember Moab, the son of uh, one of Lot's daughters through incest. Stay away from Moab. But we see Ruth. She's a Moabitess. And she comes into not just the people of Israel, but the lineage of King David. And then we see David and his sin 
with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Uh, and her name is not used here to remind you of the sin, that this was someone else's wife. Why do this? Well, it shows that Christ comes into a world that is full of family and is full of uh, legacy and is full of uh, creation and goodness and are the people of God. And it's also full of scandal and sin and temptation and forgiveness and redemption. And so Christ comes into the world uh, exactly as it is. In uh, Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, we have a, a very good account. Uh, I'm not going to read any of Luke, but Luke, uh, you have a lot about the, the birth of Jesus that you don't find in the other Gospels. And then in Luke chapter 3, you also have uh, a, a different lineage from Joseph back all the way to God, mentioning many of the characters that we've read about in Genesis. And so I'll leave you with this. Um, the beginning, this is John the Gospel of John, chapter 1, if you want to turn over and follow along, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. John, chapter 1, and just the first few verses. Um, remember Genesis 1-1. Remember Genesis 1-11, through 11, how it starts with the cosmos and zooms down to a single person that gets us started off on the family of God. Remember that and listen to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side, and he has revealed him. Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolos, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.